Calcutta is only nine miles long, four miles wide, with 22 million people. See the congestion of this city. I, I remember asking Mark, what can a young couple do in this congested city? And I remember him saying, we can't, but God can. And we started in a tent, bare piece of ground. And I'll never forget a beggar walked into our tent service. And in the middle of Mark's message, he screamed out these words, preacher, feed our bellies, and then try to tell us there's a God in heaven that loves us. He realized at that point, we could not reach people lying on the streets of Calcutta and the poor and the poverty stricken in this huge city unless we had compassionate ministries. And so we started a feeding program, but it was at that time that Mother Teresa got to know about us and our interests in the feeding program. And she took us to the major garbage dump in Calcutta where all the garbage is thrown every day and burned every hour. And when we saw children jumping into the garbage for anything they may recycle or food to eat, our hearts broke and we said, no, we have to do something about this. We realized that there were so many poor children without education. We raised the money for the school, came back and built the school. And then we started going up class by class to the different sections of the school, grade by grade by grade. Pastor Mrs. Bantain had always had a special place for underprivileged children and the poor of the city. So we've always had also with us children who came from very poor homes but nobody knew who they were because everyone was treated the same. Everything got too small. We, um, we just had to get larger land. We searched and searched and couldn't find any land. And so finally one day Mark came home very excited and said, I found the land, an old cemetery. British have all gone. Kids are using it as a soccer field. And so we were able to get this huge piece of land, four blocks square, on Park Street. Our hospital was the first building that we constructed at Park Street property. And um, Mark was able to raise money just for the foundation and the first floor. But he always felt when he had the money to go ahead and God would supply the rest which used to worry me a lot. In fact, I would tease him, say he has the faith and I have the ulcers, because I did the accounts. But when we dug the foundation, we ran into a lake. Calcutta being so low, I think below sea level almost. And when we saw that water, the construction company said, you'll need pilings under this building. And it's going to be a six-storied building, so we had to have a lot of pilings. 
We didn't have the money for the parties at all. So Mark took a little Bible out of his pocket. He always carried a little Bible in the back of his pocket when he test, would witness to anybody who'd open the Bible. And he asked them for a rope, and he tied the rope around the Bible. And the staff that we had at that time all held hands around the water. And I thought, what? in the world is he going to do? And I think everybody else thought that also. And he let the rope down with the Bible into the water and said, now all of us pray together. And of course, he led in prayer that the water will recede into the ground so we can build our hospital because God wants us to treat the sick in this hospital because it'll be the greatest arm of evangelism that we have. And immediately, the water started to go down, 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 down. It took some time. I'll tell you, those builders, the contractors' eyes were like saucers watching that water go down. And today, our basement in our hospital is the driest basement of any of the buildings surrounding our hospital. After the hospital was finished, Dad had a tendency to um, pick up anybody he thought needed a hospital bed. Kind of drove some of the doctors crazy. But one time he picked up a person who he knew was going to die. And he brought him into the hospital and he, I remember he just said, I know he's going to die. And in fact, one of the doctors said, Pastor, why are you bringing us a dead man? And he said, well, if nothing else, I want him to know that somebody loves him and he dies between clean sheets. And so he, they brought him in, they cleaned him up, they put him in bed, and uh, Dad was talking to him about Jesus and saying something you know, to him that, you know, that Jesus loves him. And in this particular situation, you know, this gentleman was obviously passing away and he would say to him, you need to love Jesus, you know, Jesus loves you. And he looked up at him and he said, are you Jesus? He had never heard. He didn't even know, you know, so he got an opportunity to share to him who Jesus was. So they reflected Christ in everything that they did. It was not uh, just a show. It was very genuine and the compassion, the genuine love that they had for people was so outstanding uh, that I used to um, often tell them, you know, that I have not seen Jesus, but I have, I can tell you, I've definitely seen him in your lives. When Pastor Buntain was snatched away fairly, very suddenly, and the mantle of leadership fell upon Sister Halda, it was a huge burden upon her, not just because she had to pick up uh, the unfinished projects uh, that Pastor Buntain had, Pastor Mark had uh, initiated, but in a culture where uh, women are not given prominence, and in fact, at the time when she assumed leadership, there were very few, if any, women in India who were in ministry 
and there was not even one lady who was ordained uh, to, to, to pastor. So she was the first woman of any nationality to be ordained as a pastor in the nation of India. And so it was quite an uphill challenge for her. But with time, as people began to see the anointing of God upon her life and the effectiveness of the way God used her, people began to accept her leadership. And Halda Bantain has been the backbone of all of this work. Uh, Mark Bantain passed away in 1989. And the world around us thought that the work would collapse and would stop. And took a woman of God, a lady, who took one day at a time and has perhaps achieved much more in the last 15-20 years than has been achieved in the previous uh, stint. And today we talk about 200 plus schools or 700 churches. I, I think this has been done because of relentless pursuit of Halda Bantain who's been able to really walk the road and keep still walking the road on behalf of the mission. And so, you know, I look back 58 years and I think there was a time when a group of ministers came through here from Manila. They had held a big crusade in Manila. They took us out for dinner, told us how foolish we were to remain in Calcutta. They said, you know, you were promising a young evangelist in your country, and you're here in this dirty, filthy city. I mean, you're just burying yourself in this city, and you'll never be heard of again. I can remember those words so distinctly. You'll never be heard of again. And going home, I said to Mark, do you think that they're right? And I remember him saying, who brought us here? And I said, well, God brought us here. And he said, well, we'll leave when God tells us to. say is to God be the glory great things he has done not a tribute to us but I think it gives God's plan that we come at that time We have been reading as a church and walking through 
the book of Acts all the way to Revelation, and we are reading the story of the church that changed the world. And we find that story from the early church in Acts all the way through to Revelation. And there are different principles that we've been unpackaging every week. And we are so blessed this week because as we've been reading the theme that has just been woven through all of the letters and all of this scripture that you've been reading is the theme of perseverance. And perseverance means that you're steadfast in the face of trials and many difficulties. And as Hulda and Mark began their ministry to be told right there in front of them from other people, what you're going into is too big a problem for you. It's something that you will get lost in. You will be buried by the need and by the hurt and by the burdens of that area. Don't go there. And for them to stand in the face of that opposition and say, we will leave when God tells us to leave. We will do the work God has called us to do. What started in 1954 as a one-year commitment has now gone on to 60 years of faithful ministry and millions of lives impacted for the kingdom of God. There are now over 900 churches that have been planted, over 200 schools. And today, Ms. Haldemontaine is going to come and she's going to share with us from God's word, challenging us through testimonies about what it means to reach and to minister to the least of these. So would you please stand and join me in welcoming Ms. Haldemontaine. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's a, a joy to be here again in your midst and to minister and share with you an update about the Calcutta Ministries. I don't know how much you know about India. But India is now the largest democracy in the world with over one billion people. It soon will be larger than China. India has improved tremendously over the last few years because of technology. But I don't really have to tell you that, do I? When anything goes wrong with your computer, you pick up the phone and you, many times you talk to India. Bangalore being the software capital of the world. But India is a complex country because of the caste system. Now you say, what is a caste? A child's destiny is determined before they're even born. I remember when we first opened our school, they told us you cannot educate a low caste child. They don't have the mental ability to learn. But aren't you glad this morning that God is no respecter of persons? Yes. I walk into our hospital today and see nurses and doctors, church into our schools and see teachers and pastors in our churches. Uh, we are now in 11 states. Every state in India has a different language. They come to Calcutta to work. We went through the different states, eight different languages, the most important ones. And today we have in our main church uh, eight different languages meeting at different times during Sunday. 
and we know that what God can do. Calcutta, what to tell you about Calcutta this morning? The poorest city in the world, nine miles long, four miles wide, with 22 million people. Visitors that come to see us, and I'm sure the team that you, you went to Calcutta would say that, wall-to-wall people. They even say that during working hours, because many commute out of villages to Calcutta, there are 25 million people. But there's one scripture in God's word, and I love it this morning. When I'm home from Calcutta and visiting churches every weekend, I, I am glad to, say, to tell them this scripture because it's so true. Withhold not good from them who deserve it when it is in the power of your hand to do it. You know, many people think that missionaries are celebrities, but I've got news for you this morning. You are. Because of the sacrificial offerings that have been given by churches of the Assemblies of God in this country, you have seen what you have seen on the screen this morning. That six-storied hospital and all the schools and all the churches has been given because of sacrificial giving. 1954, a young couple stood on the SS Mauritania ship sailing for Calcutta. Took us three months and two, three ships in two months to get there. You know, there's a first class, second class, and missionary class. But we had only, as Pastor said, been invited to go for one year of evangelistic meetings. Mark had just returned from the Far East, from the Orient, his last service being in Tokyo, Japan, where he had such a wonderful success. And at the airport when he was leaving, the senior missionary said, Mark, Thousands of young people were in this conference and were so blessed by your ministry. Why don't you and Halda come back and give us at least two years? And he was going to say, maybe I will, when God spoke to him and said, this is the last time you'll speak to Oriental people, you'll go to India. Now, India was far remote from our minds. Fifteen months later, we received the invitation to go to India for one year. And here we are in New York, ready to board that ship. Mark preached in Glad Tidings in Manhattan the day before we boarded the boat. And I'll never forget that service because the, uh, senior, the pastor's wife was asked to close in prayer. And she asked me to come forward and stand beside Mark. She put her hand on both our shoulders, and she prayed a very strange prayer. She prayed, God, make this couple a blessing to India for years to come. And she drug out the years. <laughs> Going home, I said to Mark, what does she mean, years to come? <laughs> <clears throat> We're only going for one year, aren't we? He says, as far as I know. But God had different plans for our lives. We started in a tent, bare piece of ground, night after night, <clears throat> and then the monsoon rains came. We couldn't stay in a tent any longer. 
So we moved to an upstairs auditorium, a hall seating about 500 people. And there was a nightclub underneath. And uh, they laughed at us. They said, hell downstairs, heaven upstairs. <laughs> and it was night after night. But then it was time to build a church. No church had been built in Calcutta in 100 years. And the only property available was the property we'd held the tent service, owned by a Muslim family, and they weren't going to sell to a Christian organization. But isn't it wonderful that prayer changes things? One day, that old Muslim gentleman said to Mark, I don't know why I'm doing this, preacher, but I'm going to sell you the land. And you know, Christmas Sunday, 1954, the first church was built in Calcutta in 100 years. What a day of rejoicing it was. <clears throat> but that church got too small. We started our school. Everything got too small. It's time to build again. <clears throat> but there was no property available. One day, Mark came home, and if God told him something, nothing changed his mind. He said, I found the land. I said, where? On the main street of Calcutta. I said, impossible. We've searched the main streets. He said, no, it's an old cemetery. And I said, a what? <laughs> <coughs> yes, he said, it's <coughs> an old cemetery. He said, the British have all gone. Thank you. The British have all gone. And the kids are using it as a soccer field. <clears throat> I said, Mark, I don't think. The burial board will give you a cemetery. He said, no, they won't, but God will. And Calcutta is many hours ahead of us. Their services are already over. And today, as I told you, eight language congregations are meeting in the main church in Calcutta and there are almost 5,000 people worshiping and praising God every Sunday in our church in Calcutta. <clears throat> and that's why I say this morning, impossible is one of God's favorite words. If you don't believe it or you won't remember it, write it down. Impossible is one of God's favorite words. Well, we started in a school. We built our first school with only 230 children. They called us the slum school because we took poor children. The other schools were very prestigious and had full-paying rich students, but we saw the need to educate poor students. And as I told you this morning, they are not poor intellectually. Some of them are leading doctors today in our hospital. And you know, January 19, uh, 2014, we had our 50th year anniversary. What a wonderful day it was. And the governor was our chief guest. And I was so impressed with what he spoke on. He said, the Assembly of God Church Schools have changed thousands of students. Thousands of students. Why? Because 
They have changed lives, and they have broken the caste. Education breaks the caste. When I see a low-caste doctor treating a high-caste patient, I'm always so thankful that God loves everyone. And then we started our feeding programs, very small at first, feeding our school children because they were so hungry. You know, a little girl fainted in one of our first classrooms. Mark said to her, darling, when did you eat last? She said, I can't remember. Rushed her to a city hospital. They didn't care, low caste. He came home that day and said, I will not only educate these boys and girls, but I'll feed them and I'll medically treat them. In our schools, all our schools and our street feeding programs, we're feeding 25,000 every day. As I walked those feeding lines when I was in Calcutta just a few months ago, I think half hunger. They can't even wait. They have nothing to put the food in but plastic bags. Children sitting down eating that food, immediately they get it. I have a lovely lady traveling with me, Nancy Gibson. Are you there? Are you here? <laughs> Maybe she's at the table. She'll be at the book table. We have two books there, Woman of Courage and uh, A Pathway to the Impossible. Now, if you want a miracle in your life, and I don't have time to tell you 60 years of miracles or you never go home today. But you know, if you want a miracle in your life, please buy a book, but not only that. One book. $12, feeds a child for 12 days. And I often think when I meet congregations, I tell them, pray for the family you're feeding. Because our ministry is not just to feed or give medical care or give education. It's to win that family for Jesus Christ. That's the main purpose in life. Compassionate Ministries is the only purpose that we have of winning people for Christ. And then we have our hospital. Dear ones, hundreds every day. As I walk into the hospital, walk the wards, I think, where would these poor people be if it wasn't for the Mission Hospital? One of the newest ministries we have now is rural clinics. In areas in the villages where we couldn't build a church or we couldn't even build a Christian school, children were dying of minor diseases. And so we started medical clinics as under the auspices of our hospital. And you know, it's so wonderful. Once we get the favor of the villagers, in favor of the head of the village, the pastor's, the doctor's table becomes the pastor's pulpit, and we have church. And it's growing, tremendously growing, these clinics, because as they're treated medically, they're so grateful that they come to church on Sunday. You know, leukemia is one of our worst killers amongst children. We are giving 500 children blood transfusions every month. I walk into those wards, 
see the blood going into those children. I say, God, when Jesus walked this earth, he met a, a woman with a blood problem. She could not even get near him, but she touched the hem of his garment. He felt it go out. She felt it go in. And many of the children go out of our hospital healed. All through our hospital are the big signs, Jesus heals. And then cleft palate. I have never seen faces due to malnutrition by the mothers when they're having these children. They're born with faces, cleft palates. One out of every 700 born in India has this condition. I walked into the ward, 30 children were being operated on the next day. I saw a mother sitting by her child crying. I pulled up a chair and sat beside her, put my arm around her. She didn't speak. All she did was, I looked down. I saw a face I'd never seen like before. But I said, Mother, tomorrow your child will be wheeled into the operating theater and she'll come out looking beautiful. And she did. She did. We kept her a few more days for teeth work, for dental work. And then I said, Mother, go back to your village and tell them what Jesus has done for you. You know, if a child is born deformed, if it cripples, blind, or has a cleft palate, that family are cursed in that village due to their reincarnation belief that the curse from their back generations go from generation to generation. And I knew why she's crying. A girl like that would never ever be married. Go back and tell them what Jesus has done. And you know what? The next Sunday, the clinic was full on church day. Why? They wanted to know about this Jesus. I wanted to know about this Jesus. And that's why I tell you this morning, the hospital is the greatest, one of the greatest arms of evangelism. Five chaplains going from bed to bed every day. And then the blind children. Nobody wants a blind child. They give them a cup, send them into Calcutta to beg. Sure, the ladies that visited would know that. I felt so sorry for these children. I said, God, give me a blind home. Today, we have almost 200 in our blind home and school. Beautiful children. I love to go there. I love to hear them sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Nobody loved them. But they know now that Jesus loves them. I was in the hospital when five children were being operated on. I said to the doctor, will they see? And she said, some better than others. When they took the bandages off their eyes, they had never seen light. They looked up at light. In Hindi, light is butty, 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 butty. And they loved the song, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. 
Oh, I've heard them sing it many times. I knew they couldn't see, but the joy of the Lord in their hearts and the smile on their faces. But today, five children were singing this song as a reality as we held hands with the doctor and sang that wonderful song, I Once Was Blind, But Now I See a Reality. You know, Mother Teresa was a lovely little lady. She brought all her patients to our hospital. You saw her on the screen when she told us about the feeding program at the garbage dump. Our doctors treated her until she died. I was in the hospital shortly before she took very ill. She had brought a little boy to be admitted. And she said something to me I'll never forget. She said, it's not how much you do, but how much love you put in the doing that counts. I said, Mother, if we don't put Jesus' love in our doing, all our work is in vain. She said, that's what I mean. And then she took my hand in her 87-year-old. And she opened my fingers one by one, and she said, always remember, when you give to the poor, you do it unto Christ. Dear ones, will you sign your faith promises? Will you give your offering? You use your hand. Write your check, you use your hand. Always remember, when you give to the poor, you do it unto Christ. I told you we were in 11 states in India. Seven of those states are in East India, where they look more oriental than they do Indian. I went up there for a pastor's conference. Mark was invited years previous for an interdenominational crusade. It was a miracle how he got there, and it was a miracle during the meetings. Out of those services, the Assemblies of God churches were born in all seven states. We now have over 400 churches in those seven states, Bible schools and day schools. Our general superintendent, a lovely young man, graduate from our Bible school in Calcutta, said, Auntie, tomorrow I'm going to take you somewhere you've never been before. And I said, where is that? He said, Above our capital city of Kohima, we have the largest cemetery in the Eastern world. I was amazed. Thousands of graves, British, Canadian, American. The Japanese were coming over from Burma in World War II. The largest battle was fought in that area. But as I walked into the cemetery, there was a large arch, and I stood below that arch, and I read the words, go home and tell them we gave our today for their tomorrow. I said, God, that's wonderful, precious young man. But we have given thousands and thousands not only a today, but a tomorrow. When we had the 50th anniversary, 800 alumni came from all over the world. And I heard them. 
They said they'll never forget what they learned in our school because it changed their lives. They said it was the only meal they had in the whole day. I heard testimony after testimony from those only 800 and other thousands. And then I thought of a grave in Calcutta. Mark died so suddenly. And the culture is, you stand by the grave until it's full, shovel by shovel. And as I stood there, not knowing why, why? What will we do now? I said, God, we only came for one year and we stayed 35 years. That should be enough. Have you ever argued with God? <laughs> I did. But you know, I'll always be thankful that our worship team started to sing that beautiful song, Love So Amazing, So Divine. Demands, doesn't ask. Demands my life, my soul, my all. I said, God, if you help me, I will stay. Last June, I stood beside the grave. 25 years. We had a little service. Our pastor, many pastors were there giving their testimonies. And I said, God, you've helped us. The work has grown. We've exploded all these villages that were unreached by the gospel. Today we have churches, we have schools, but we have leaders, children that nobody cared about. Nobody cared, they're low caste. Now, our leaders, our national leaders in all of these states. We can't have missionaries. No visas are being given. But we've raised up a host of national pastors reaching the lost for Christ. But you know, we live in a changing world. A me, myself, and I world. Investments are here today and gone tomorrow. But you know, when you invest in the kingdom of God, it pays the best dividends. <laughs> pays the best dividends. You know why? Money is the currency of men, but faith is the currency of God. Yes, faith is the currency of God. When you sacrificially give to God, he rewards you and he blesses you. You know, I often wondered what the scripture meant, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Until I read the revised version that said, those that are inconspicuous here shall be heroes there. I said, thank you, God. Those are the ones that give and give and give. Unknown to the world. You're not on television. You're not in magazines. But you know, God keeps the best records. Inconspicuous here, but heroes there. You know, I'm on television quite a few times, and I'm always asked, what do you feel is your greatest accomplishment in the many years you've been in India? And I unhesitatingly say, investment in lives. 
investment in lives. Buildings crumble, but lives live on forever. You know, I traveled so much, I had something wrong with my ear. I said to the nurse, I want to see an ENT specialist. She said, oh, yes, we've got a good one. He's just new. We went down. She knocked on his door. Dr. Bhattacharya, I want you to meet the president of our mission. He got up from his chair, and he walked toward me, and I noticed he had tears in his eyes. He said, Andy, I don't have to meet you. I met you when I was seven years old. My father brought my brother and myself to you. We were in rags. We had no shoes on our feet. The poor called us poor. You put me into school. And then I remembered. I said, are you Sabash? He said, yes, I am. I said, tell me, tell me about it. He said, I graduated from your junior college, and I remembered with top marks. I prayed for a scholarship to get into medical school, and God gave it to me. And then I prayed, God help me to pass these subjects. I can go back to that hospital and treat the poor. I said, Shabash. They're lined up outside your door to see you today. Children, when you treat a child, do you think of yourself? He said, every day, every day. I sat on the platform in Calcutta a few months ago. Our senior pastor was late Saturday night coming home. He had spoken at the conference out of Calcutta. Our associate pastor was preaching that morning. I couldn't keep the tears back. As he walked to the pulpit, opened his Bible, and started to preach a powerful sermon, I didn't see associate pastor. I saw a 12-year-old boy that was brought to me. His mother and father both died of tuberculosis. They didn't have money to bury that, those parents. We provided the grave for them. We stood by the grave with that little family, Patrick his brother Wilbert, and two sisters. Patrick looked up in my face, and he said, we're orphans now. We've got nobody. I said, oh, no, you aren't. I put my arms around them, put the boys in our boys' home, put the girls in our girls' home. And today I sit in the platform, and I watch this young man preach a powerful sermon, investment in lives. I got a wonderful email on Mother's Day from him. And he said these words, where would we be if we had not come to the mission? Where would we be? Thousands do that. I walked into Hallmark store one day to buy a birthday card. I looked up on the wall, slogan. Oh, Mr. Hallmark, you sell birthday cards and all kinds of cards with that slogan. I'm going to steal it for missions. And you know what it said? If you love enough, you give your best. 
If you love enough, you give your best. Do you love enough to buy a book to feed a child 12 days? Do you love enough to pray? As I go back to India in a couple of months, I walk in the feeding lines. I walk through the villages. Doing does not count until love motivates it. And loving does not count unless doing demonstrates it. You can't love Jesus without doing something about it. Thank you and God bless you.